How can the lessons of 2017 help us get good fantasy grades in 2018? We'll talk about all kinds of hitters and pitchers from this season and for next season with Ray Murphy and Todd Zola next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, September 22nd. It's show number 38 and the final show of the 2017 Fantasy Baseball regular season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and it is a great Friday show to go out on. We'll talk with Ray Murphy from BaseballHQ.com and Todd Zola from Masters Ball, ESPN, and Rotowire about players who will go for more than they should next year and for less and about a lot of specific players based on their 2017 performances. As well, we'll have one last Baseball HQ commentary, our frequent flyers, with Alex Becky looking at Boston third baseman Michael Chavis and Pittsburgh's starting pitcher Mitch Keller. It's another Big Friday show. It is our last of the 2017 regular season. Thanks for joining us one last time at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? Just over a week to go, plenty of races to be decided, and a 2018 season to start planning. we got to talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this edition of Baseball HQ Radio, our end-of-season roundtable. So let's introduce our two esteemed panelists. First, the co-general manager of Baseball HQ and a columnist at the site. Hello again to Ray Murphy. Thanks, Patrick. Where has the time gone? Indeed, where has it gone? And uh, Todd Zola, welcome to the show. Uh, sorry you have to share the stage with Ray Murphy. Uh, I, 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 this is a great... I don't, I don't know who's the opening act and who's the closer, but... I think we can call headline tag team partners. Yeah, I'm definitely the opening act. <laughs> you guys are the headliners. Uh, let's start with how uh, our teams are doing this year, Ray. Uh, how have your experts leagues and uh, NFPC and all those kind of things that you do? How are you doing? Uh, okay, not fantastic. I don't think I'm going to win anything, but I am grinding out a couple of what I hope are money finishes. I've I'm in a daily leapfrog for second place in the Tout Wars mixed league and. Uh, may find a little bit of money in the NFBC too. So, uh, you know, not a disaster, but uh, certainly not uh, one of my best seasons either. We're somewhere in the uh, in the elusive middle ground. Tout Wars drafts this year are a little bit unusual in that there's a lot of runaway winners so far. There are some blowout races there. Uh, some people are, uh, in my particular league, it's uh, Rudy Gambo, who's got like 136 out of 150 possible points or something and it just destroyed the field. And Jeff's having a season like that too in his. Todd, how are you doing? Uh, can we go on to the next question? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it's uh, yeah. Ray, Ray said he's not having a disaster. I will. I will cop to having a disaster season. High stakes, private, uh, industry leagues, you name it. It was. It's just been a terrible year for me, and um, I can't wait to start drafting next year. As a matter of fact, I'll be actually drafting an NFB, an NFBC league next week so i i you know i'm going to put this aside very quickly now it's just been a terrible year i've talked about it we've talked about it you know throughout the season patrick i haven't been able to uh escape the cellar but uh you know speaking to what ray was saying the uh all the tout ward races except even except maybe the head-to-head league to this year they're all they're all blowouts um mike Pollard is running away with the al uh gray albright is running away with the nl you mentioned the two mixed leagues uh labor is really close i know that you got you know you've got 
representatives with Dave and Doug in, in labor. Uh, labor, I think all three labor races are still in uh, in jeopardy, which is uh, it's just the way it's worked out this year. Interesting that we have a couple of guys from Rasball running away with some races in Tout. Uh, I should let the listeners know that I'm in the Tout American League uh, that Mike Podhorzer has long since run away with. He's in uh, about 105, 106 points out of the possible 120. Uh, again, a relatively dominant win. I don't remember in past years in that league being like that. I'm down in 6th or 7th, but I could finish as high as 4th. I think there's a bunch of us all bunched in there in the mid-60s to about 70. I think Steve Moyer had 70 the last time I looked. But I've got chances to go up. I got chances to go down. So it's it's an interesting league in that way. In that I have the opportunity to keep plugging because I'd rather finish fourth than seventh. I'd rather finish fifth than seventh. So uh, it it keeps me going. Now, uh, Todd, especially I'm interested in you. You've had a bad year. I'm wondering uh, once the season is over, which it is for uh, us, it sounds like. What kind of post mortem do you do on your team and the league and all that kind of stuff to prepare you for next year? I kind of I don't I don't sit down and just look at my teams specifically mainly because I'm literally I mean you know Ray can speak to this too with the with the books coming out I'm literally starting I'm actually starting projections now because the minor league season's over so I can get the minor league stats so I can start to prepare the MLEs for when I can dump in the major league stats in a week and a half so I'm I'm ba- I'm basically starting but as I go over the new numbers, you know, I, what I'll do is I'll kind of something will click as I'm maybe profiling a player or looking at a trend or whatever projections, and I'll go to my teams and I'll, I'll, I'll and I kind of so by the end of the year I'll have looked at all my teams, but I don't I don't take the time all at once. I um, you guys got a piece up on the site about you know how how, how our teams handling saves and, and and certain specific things like that, which I usually do every year for a general piece as far as and i think you guys found out sort of came to the same conclusion there is no best way to handle saves for instance it can be handled in any number of different ways and be successful at you know depending on what else you do so i guess i mean to me it's going to be pitching i it, some of this is going to come up as we, we as we talk through some players but i i swung and missed on pitching in a big way this year and that even though you know even though it's well you still could have done your hitting well you're right but when you're trying to fix your pitching, you take away assets both on the wire and in trades to be able to, you know, keep your hitting up or address hitting. So they did, they are related. And I just took a complete swing and miss. So what I am going to do is, did I did I overexpose myself to play it to pitcher the same pitchers that failed? Was it the same sort of analysis? And I just kind of failed on a group of pitchers, even with different names, but had the different have the same sort of style. I don't know. So that's kind of what I'm going to do is. Why did I miss on pitching so much? Ray, what about you? Uh, Todd says it's more general for him. Do you take any more kind of a specific look at how your teams did, what went on in your league uh, as you start thinking about 2018? A lot of Todd's answer resonated with me. Uh, I Obviously, we're getting into uh, production for the 2018 Baseball Forecaster, and we're already looking at projections, and I sort of really have no choice but to turn the page very quickly without a lot of time to ruminate that said what happens is when there's a particular league that goes uh in a way that i wasn't expecting or maybe didn't fully understand as it was happening i'll i'll take a deep dive into that league sometime during the off season just to see what i can learn from it for instance in my nfbc main event team this year 
Uh, last year I had a really good year, finished fourth overall. When this year started really well, around fourth of July, I was in the top ten nationally again, and you know was looking to maybe settle some scores from the previous year. And and that team just completely went off the rails in the second half. Uh, not only fell out of the national standings, but fell out of the league standings too. I'm down to sixth or seventh in the league now. Just a epic second half collapse and that doesn't usually happen to me if I have teams go sideways they usually go sideways right from the draft table and generally I think I do a pretty good job of incrementally improving in season and I, I don't see a te- see my teams generally just blow a tire like that so sometime come December or January I'm going to roll up my sleeves and take a look at what really happened there because that's one that I don't have a good handle on right now, and I'm going to need a couple of months of perspective and then take, take a look at it with fresh eyes. I'm going to look at my team in Tout AL, and I know there are a couple of mistakes I made uh, at the draft, which came back to haunt me. I gambled on Drew Smiley. I, I spent some money on Drew Smiley. I also gambled a couple of bucks on Charlie Tilson, and of course I didn't get one at-bat or one-third of an inning out of uh, those two guys, so there was 10 or $11 wasted, and I'm, I'm going to rethink my willingness to take those kind of gambles, uh, especially on pitchers. And I'm curious what you guys think about this. Uh, Podhorzer uh, uh, adopted... Uh, for me, what was a pretty different kind of approach in Tout AL, which was he kind of punted starters. Uh, he didn't seem to worry too much about getting wins. He he bought himself some uh, saves guys who were also strikeout guys like Craig Kimbrell. And, and uh, he's dominating the hitting and he's dominating the pitching because of that, except for wins. And he's going to get a one or a two in wins, but he's still going to coast to a, an easy victory. Now, do you think that I can look at that and say that's something I could try next year? Or is it just, uh, to what extent do you think it's just that he was real lucky with his picks? He got Aaron Judge, for instance. Ray? You know, it varies by context a lot, but that's similar to a something I observed in uh, the in my Towers League that I was talking about. Mine's the mixed league, so, you know, 15-team mixed is different than your AL only, but... I'm second in that league, and the first three starters I drafted were um, Aaron Sanchez, Michael Fulmer, and Julio Urias. And obviously, I didn't get a lot there. Fulmer was fine, but the other two blew up. And you know that was after sort of skipping the everybody grabs an A starter in the third or fourth round. I felt I missed that group, and then not only did I miss that group, but I only nailed one out of my top three pitchers, and I still have the best pitching in the league uh, with some help from like an Alex Wood late and some other pickups in season. So, you know, I, I, there's a significant group think, at least in the mixed league world around, you have to get one of the top 10 starters in, you know, the 25 to $30 range or round two, three, four. And, you know, my isolated example, you know, gives me more, a little more confidence to sort of buck the status quo with that. And uh, Podhorzer's approach that you're describing there sounds like it might be the only league, alt, you know, equivalent of that. And it, that might merit some further research or, you know, analysis this season. What with the 10-day DL and starters all pitching less and how many strikeouts you can get from elite relievers and some of those factors that, you know, sort of are tweaking the, uh, the the rule set and philosophies that we've all known for years and years that may not be as true anymore. And just to be clear, Podhorzer is not winning in strikeouts, but he's got enough points in strikeouts, seven or eight of them, that uh, between that and his one point in wins, he's got the eight or nine, and then he spent re- relatively heavily and relatively intelligently on, uh, on his hitting and uh, on the other aspects of his team. And of course, 
by avoiding bad starters, he's also winning the, the decimals category. So it seems like a pretty good approach. Uh, Todd, do you think it's a wise thing to look at how the guy who won your league this year did it and then think about ways you could emulate it in future years? Yes and no. You still have to draft to your strength. But, I mean, you know, specifically talking towards Mike's team, I'm only in one AL only league, at least um, uh, non-keeper league. In my strategy, I didn't like the top-tier pitching or I didn't want to pay for it. So I had this great, great plan, foolproof plan. I draft Kevin Gausman and Tris Devansky and Matt Strom. And then I just kind of fill in around there. So I do really good in ratios, get some strikeouts, and get some saves. Well, I'm not really going to – I'm not I'm not cashing in my AL-only league. Uh, you know, so uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm actually trying to look now. Didn't Mike land on uh, – yeah, he landed on Luis Severino, which which really helps the plan in that nature. So, uh, you know, so uh, you know maybe obviously he had something in his analysis that, that pointed him to him. But, he, he you know, I think he spent two bucks on Severino. So as good as Aaron Judge was for the offense – you know, Severino helped his pitching. But my point being, in the AL, that was kind of my plan. Uh, what Mike did is not is not to pay for starting pitching and build up the ratios, because I did feel the Davinskys and Stroms could help out in that regard. Next year, don't know. We've got, what, we've got Severino emerging. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Pomeranz. There's a few more guys that I'm a little more trustworthy in, at least to, in, in, in an AL-only sense, that I will probably invest in a, in, in a top pitcher and not try to get gimmicky so uh you know applause to mike and i mean you mentioned a couple of the things you know he uh he went to stars and scrubs he landed on mike trout too and he got a matt olsen so he's got some misses francisco lindor so you know some of the you know the aaron judges hitting on the aaron judge is what kind of you know put him over the top as well as severino so i know he's from new york so maybe he's uh buying an extra yankees jersey this offseason we saw quite a drop this year in the top three. Uh, Altuve, Blackman, and Kluber are all around $42 in mixed 15 format. And from them, it drops quite a bit. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt is at $36. These are Baseball HQ valuations at number four. And by the end of the first 15 guys, the values are under $30, and then they flatten right out. The next 15 players from 27 down to 24 how usual is the shape of the value table this year, Todd, do you think, with this rapid fall-off from the very top elite guys and then a big, long plateau in the mid-20s? This is, this is normal. It's just uh, different, the same numbers, different names. Um, now, you, know, you said your valuations. I've got Blackman and Altuve at 47 and 46. Oh, um, it's, it, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's, not, it's, not, you know, it's not impossible for two guys to be so close, but there usually is more of a difference. I've talked about this before. I've talked about it on the... Um, the Spring First Pitch Forum store, I call it the slinky effect. Grab a slinky at the holding just the top rung, let it fall down. Each ring is a draft pick. The, the ones at the top are further apart, and as this, you know, as the slinky goes towards the floor, the rings are closer and closer and closer, and that's kind of the relative value of, of players adjacent players. So, I mean, it, you kind of need, you know, you need to value average values over several years because, you know, in any single year, you're going to have different, you know, different clusters, etc., and it even, can, as you kind of alluded to, it could be different valuation systems because, like I said, I've got uh, L2V and Blackman a little higher than the HQ numbers do. But the other thing you mentioned was $30. That is the – that's it's remarkable. Every year, that's the cutoff between first and second round. There's always 15 people above 30 – well, I mean 14 or 16. But it's, there's basically 15 people above $30. How they're distributed, eh, it could be different every year. But that's kind of – you know, that's kind of my benchmark – $30 is a is the beginning of the second round when I kind of relate drafts to auctions. 
Ray, uh, is that the way you see it also? And uh, whatever the shape uh, of the draft is, doesn't it seem to really suggest a stars and scrubs approach over a balanced approach? Yeah, I'm always a little reluctant to overreact to one year. Uh, like Todd said, the shape of this curve is you know pretty typical. The thing that, correct, Todd, correct me if I'm wrong, but the thing that strikes me as a little odd this year is that we've got those three guys up north of $40, and we usually just see one or maybe two of those. Um, but I would caution against, you know, sort of exactly what you're suggesting with your question, Patrick, is that, you know, the, the fact that a couple of guys popped up a little bit higher or nosed themselves from, you know, over 39 bucks into the low 40s by our values does not, to me, suggest an, an overreaction that we should, you know, now think more stars and scrubs or whatever. There is still, like Todd said, going to be, you know, almost every year you get 14, 15, 16 players at $30 or higher. And the fact that a couple got to 42 rather than 39 this year doesn't really tell me a lot. And my overall theme is to not overinterpret those results. Any postseason valuation method is is even more flawed than a regular valuation method. Just because, I mean, we're, we're forcing, uh, if we're doing 15-team mix, we're forcing, whatever, 210 hitters and 135 pitchers into the positive value range. But that's just not what happens. With injuries and reserve lists and replacements and minors coming up, more than, 100, more than 210 hitters are contributing to teams. But just because we want to keep it consistent with our preseason valuation, we, we, we sort of force the same constraints. So I, I kind of take, I run the postseason values because people want them. And, you know, you got to give the people what they want. But I take them with a complete grain of salt just because they're, they're, I don't want to, I, I guess inaccurate is the right word, but I, I just think that they're not really representative of how much a player's helped a team just because of the whole, you, you, you know, people are active. You're active when you're, if, when you're in a roster, when you're on a roster, you're contributing to that spot. And more than 210 hitters helped teams this year. Really, Mike Trout's a $40 player, too, so you really have four guys and then that drop-off to Goldschmidt, and then it flattens out from there. (laughs) Does this mean that if you're playing in a league, that a straight draft league that has the uh, Kentucky Derby selection process, that you should be saying, I want one or two or three and so on down the list, and then down to 15, 14, 13 to get the advantage of of the wheel? That's how I do it. Um, I, I, I want one of the top picks. If I don't get the top pick, I want the wheel. It's just that I've always liked it that way. Where I where I end my you know one two three four, it depends upon how I feel about the uh, you know the the top players. Where what what what's the lowest I want to go and still be happy with him as my first pick before I flip to the wheel. But that's kind of the way I have, I've approached it for the past several years. I'm gonna say though this year I think we'll talk about it as we go on, especially NFB. I'm a little NFBC centric this point. You know once we start, um, how approach pitching is going to be so key. So I can see setting an ADP, an ADP, I'm sorry, a KDS, Kentucky Derby, to, to, to try to have a better chance of lining up pitching the way I want to. Yeah, for me, the Kentucky Derby style is, you know, it, it's too early to answer the question this year. If you were drafting based on year-end values, of course, you'd want to go straight 1-15 to 15 and get the, get, get the pockets of value in the top five picks that are, you know, uh, a, a tier above what you get in round, in picks 10 through 15, but you're not. You're drafting f- for the next year's projected values or who you like, and to me, that always 
is my conducting derby style is always influenced by the shape of the ADP. For instance, this year I dropped down to the back end of the uh, of the draft and I got Charlie Blackman and Joey Votto of like 14 and 17. And you know what? That worked out pretty well. Uh, you know, I, I got the value of a top three pick and still got Joey Votto who's returning that $30 first round value too. So picking 14 and 16, I got two, you know, I, I got you know, values number three and 12 or something like that. So to me, it always depends on what, where the where the guys you like in you know the second and third round are relative to the ADP, and I sort of back into my first round selection based on that. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt with Ray Murphy from BaseballHQ.com and Todd Zola from Masters Ball ESPN and RotoWire, and we're talking about the uh, end of the year roundtable. And guys, uh, we've talked about the general. Uh, issue of what's gone on this year. Uh, let's look ahead at next year, 2018. Uh, let's start with you, Todd. What batter do you think is going to go into the top 30 slot or dollar value in 2018? So first or second round and won't meet the valuation level. Uh, next year's big disappointment. All right. Now I'm, I'm going to, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say cheat because I don't think it's cheating. I think it's using the resources that are there. Uh, and a couple of HQ guys, I think Ryan Bloomfield and Brent, there's uh there's some, uh, industry drafts going on right now four of them simultaneous so i actually looked at the first two rounds because I, I wanted to pick a player that's in there and josh donaldson is in three of the first is in three uh has been drafted in the second round in three of those leagues the fourth league hasn't gotten there yet and i think you know of the players drafted donaldson's the guy to me that has the biggest potential to fall it, between age uh a little higher injury risk and team context unless the uh unless the jays go out there and improve their 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 lineup a bit, and if he continues to hit second, I don't think he'll get the RBI to warrant a second round, first or second round pick. So, I'm going Josh Donaldson. For me, it's Aaron Judge. I'm a little too put off by the second half cooling and the diminished contact rate. You know, obviously he's established the power, and maybe he really just is. Giancarlo Stanton, you know, all the comparisons drawn around him, those two around the home run derby seem apt. But, you know, I, I, if people are sticking to what the overall numbers for Judge, particularly with batting average, come out to be at the end of the year based on the fact that they were so propped up in the first half uh, and don't necessarily account for the way he ended the year in terms of regression of uh, BABIP and contact rate. You know, I, I haven't looked at those drafts that Todd's talking about. I don't exactly know where he's going, but uh, you tell me Aaron Judge is going anywhere in the first three, four rounds, and I'm taking the, uh, I'm taking the downside on that. Well, when I looked at the list, and I too kind of cheated on where these guys are going in early in early drafts, and oddly enough, uh, Aaron Judge has been a guy that all the experts I've talked to this year on the Baseball HQ Radio podcast, when I say who's the guy most likely to really disappoint next year, a lot of them are saying Aaron Judge, and I also thought Josh Donaldson was a very suspect pick. Uh, I've been watching him this year. I lived in the Toronto area, so and my wife's a Jays fan, so we see a lot of their games, and all season long, he just hasn't looked right, and one of the things I think people need to worry about is he's got a bit of a track record for getting you 10 or 12 bags, and I think that ship has sailed. He just didn't look like he was willing to run out there. He didn't, wasn't running the bases as aggressively, and I just wonder between that and advancing age, boy, oh boy, I think Josh Donaldson's going to go a lot higher and, and is uh, ripe for disappointment. Uh, to go back to you, Ray. Conversely, what batter do you think is going to be drafted outside the top 30 but end up inside the top 30? I think the best indicator of, you know, there's so much projection and, you know, such a wide error bar here on 
top 15, top 30 values, but one really good indicator of people who have that kind of potential is people who have been there before. So uh, one guy who's going to fall a whole heck of a lot from where he got drafted this year, both because he burned people and because of how he burned people, uh, is Starling Marte. But there's a, you know, to me, if you put aside the PED issue, PED issue and say that this is still the same player we thought he was coming into this year, then he still got that kind of top 30 ceiling. Uh, and I'll take a shot at that at whatever discount he's coming at in 2018 drafts. Just so Ray can sleep at night, Judge has been drafted in the second round in two of those leagues. So good pick. Um, the guy I'm going to take has actually been a subject of a couple of the spring first pitch forms when Ron Chandler presents his slides. And that's Jonathan Scope. Um, I, I'm a believer. I, I guess the bottom line is I'm a believer. And I, I, you know, I don't want to just look at the numbers and become a believer. To me, it's the, the, the metric. I, he's, he's improved his approach. He's improved his selectivity. He's improved his patience. It's not showing in a huge walk rate, but he's not chasing as much. And, you know, in resulting is hitting more line drives and hitting more uh, hard hit balls. So, uh, you know, can you keep this up? I think you can keep up a change in approach. So I like scope to finish with second round value. And that basically means I think the batting average is real, you know, because he's not going to run that much. So to be a second rounder, you got to have a good batting average. And uh, I think he's real. I'm going to take a, a lit, little bit more of a flyer. I'm looking at Domingo Santana, and I think he's going to go... I think Jonathan Scope's going to get drafted fairly high based on what he did this year. But I think that uh, if you go down into maybe round four or five, Domingo Santana could fall that far. And he seems to be just on the verge of a big breakout season. He's at 28 home runs this year already. He's got 14 bags, and he's hitting 281. Now, there's a bit of luck involved there, but he's... Uh, He's got uh, only a 27% fly ball rate. If he can boost that even a little bit, and we know players are concentrating on that in their uh, coaching, if he could bump that fly ball rate up from 27 to 35 or so, given the amount of power that he's already shown at that limited fly ball rate and given the park he plays in, I really like Domingo Santana as a possible uh, top guy next year that isn't going to cost top money. Uh, as I mentioned, two hitters have run away literally from the field this year, Jose Altuve and Charlie Blackman uh, because of the stolen bases. Paul Goldschmidt also a lot of bases. They're good all-round players. This is Altuve's second year atop the batter value leaderboard, you guys. Uh, has he supplanted Mike Trout as the number one or top dollar pick for 2018? Todd, what do you think? Um, he already had for me. Um, he, he Coming into this year, he was my number one, especially in AL only. I know we're kind of using kind of 15-team mix as kind of the kind of common denominator between all the leagues, so you can, we can sort of have, you know, talk one, talk one league. But he's the one guy that you can't use the durability, reliability card over Trump. I mean, over, tr over tr uh, Trump. Did I say Trump? I meant Trout. I mean, I wasn't thinking, I was, wasn't thinking politics. I was thinking, uh, LTV Trump's Trout in, 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 as far as durability and, and, uh, and, and, uh, reliability go. He, uh, he, he, he has that. It's no one else, but he, Goldschmidt perhaps has that over Trout. So I, I absolutely agree. Now we were concerned about will Otuve run. No concern there, um, you know, and with the power drop. Maybe a little, but he's still, he's still hitting homers. Yeah, um, no problem taking him number one. I'll go the other side of the argument. Uh, if you're, you know, I, I will concede that Altuve may be the, you know, odds-on favorite next year to return the number one dollar value in 2018, given that he's, as Patrick says, he has cracked uh, 20, 
you know, $40, two years running now. I'll still take Trout just for the longer-term track record and the high floor. The fact that he's returning, you know, first-round value this year and just what's going to end up being, you know, under 400 at-bats to me is, you know, just just emblematic of the really high floor you get there. This is the, uh, about the worst year you can get from Mike Trout, and he's still returning in the first round. And if you get in any year where he gets 500-plus at-bats, you're guaranteed top three value, and that kind of guarantee is what I want if I'm picking first overall. I'm curious that you say that uh, you think Trout has the higher floor. What is it that about Altuve and his game that makes you think, Ray, that uh, there's some kind of downside here? I think just that there's a lot of things that can go wrong there, and maybe I'm still continuing to judge him for his stature. But, you know, if a it's the cascading effect, I guess, between, you know, even though he's established the skills, the, you know, the five category skills for, you know, elite batting average and the stolen bases to come with it. It's all predicated on two things. It's all predicated on the enormous number of at-bats and the high batting average that gives them the opportunities to run, et cetera. And, you know, it's one of those things where if you pull at that thread a little bit and, you know, either he gets babbipped a little bit or, you know, gets a minor injury that that eats into the running game. I, I think there's more ways for his value to fall out of the first round, and we've sort of seen what seen, seen the worst-case scenario from Trout this year other than, like, you know, a season-ending injury running into a wall or something like that and that, any, that everyone is prone to. And I, I, I think Altuve is more prone to the playing through stuff and seeing diminished results than the Trout skill set is. We are seeing some new names in the top 10 of hitters this year. Uh, we mentioned Aaron Judge, and we've discussed him. But I also see uh, Elvis Andrews in there, just over $30. Jose Ramirez of Cleveland having a terrific year, right around $30. Uh, of those two guys, Andrews and Ramirez, which uh, do you think is the most likely to deliver top-round performance next year? Might be worth that first-round flyer. Todd? Um, Jose Ramirez, and it's to me, it's really not close. Um I, again, I mean, I, 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 you know, sort of deep dive on the skill set. I think everything he's doing is real. Now, the one thing with Ramirez is I, I don't see him getting much better. You, you, how can you? You're not going to get better than a than a 10% strikeout rate. I mean, and and maybe you know you luck into a couple more homers or the opportunity for a couple more steals. I think we're seeing kind of the maximum season out of Ramirez, but I don't see it. I don't see a huge, uh, you know, a drop in the floor though. So that's sort of my one caveat with saying Ramirez is I don't know how much more improvement we got going on here. I think we're seeing a pretty good player at his peak. But uh, of those two, uh, it's Ramirez. And, and I've always liked Andrus more than others. But, you know, given, given the, the option of these two and add in the second base, third base eligibility, which I think is going to be huge next year in this environment of, of injuries and the whatnot, Multiple eligibilities is going to be huge. We've talked about this a lot, Patrick. Yeah. How can you factor it into evaluation? Is, is it something tangible, or is it something you kind of abstractly do in a draft or an auction as it's going on? Yeah, I totally agree with the eligibility point. That's a nice additional edge for Ramirez. And Todd's overall point about Ramirez that this might be a ceiling. I think that's true. Uh, but I, I think the same is also true for Andrews. And I, everything about Andrews this year looks to me like a career year. That's not to say, you know, he's going to, you know, give back all of the games, but, you know, he's being propped up by the fact that he's already over 600 at bats. And, you know, he's having an unexpected power spike this year. And you can say that about, you know, many, many, many hitters. And it doesn't mean that his is particularly sustainable or not. But we've seen this from Ramirez for more than one year now. And he's doing, and he's not 
you know, propping up his counting stats with what's going to be 640 at bats the way Andrews is. So, uh, you know, if I'm ranking it for next year, it's, it's, it's Ramirez one, a, a decent gap, and then Andrews next. Yeah, I did a, a Baseball HQ deep spotlight on uh, on Jose Ramirez, and I agreed with Todd that uh, everything he seems to be doing and seems to have done is validated by his skills, by his approach, all of these kind of things. I like Jose Ramirez more than I like Andrews. And also, Ramirez seems to have some upside just on age. He's only 24. He's four years younger than Andrews and basically at the same level already. So I, I don't know that there's a lot of room for Ramirez to grow, but whatever there is, uh, it's probably more room than Andrews has is the way I look at it anyway. Uh, we saw some surprises down in the mid-$20 so far this year. Whit Merrifield of Kansas City, I think uh, Larry Schechter got him for a buck in Tout American League and uh, has told people about that. Uh, Tommy Pham of St. Louis having a terrific year and Ender Inciarte. What do you guys think about that threesome as uh, who's the best choice sort of thing, uh, Ray? You know, if, if we're looking ahead I think I'll take Enciarte just for the established skills. We know what he is. He's a more stable performer in the sense of, you know, he's a leadoff guy who's going to run a bunch, and that's a pretty valuable skill set. The, the run scoring and the stolen bases on, you know, with, with a decent average, I think there's a you know, fairly predictable performance this year, not the out of the blue that we got from Merrifield. And, you know, full credit to Merrifield, he's, you know, probably on the short list in terms of, you know, profit returns for your for an MVP discussion for this year in fantasy terms <clears throat> you know he's been terrific but you know I I would expect some pullback there where I think uh, the most repeatable of those guys you mentioned is probably NCRD. Todd uh, Maryfield fam or NCRD? I'm got well I'm actually it's kind of the opposite of Ray in that I, neither of us is going to talk about fam um, which you probably should but when we can you know 2020 season out of nowhere but I'm going to go with Maryfield. I I like the skills I especially like the, not just the steals, but the, the success rate, which tells me he'll continue to run. And I know that the Royals have got some some uh, middle infield coming up, but I think at this point, I think they're just going to, they know, I think Merrifield's their guy. It took them too long to get there this year with uh, Mondesi and some of the other guys that they, they ran th- the musical chairs. But I think Merrifield's going to go into next season as the Royals' regular uh, second baseman. And you know we, he missed time. If he had, if he not because of injury, because we could be talking about him in the thirty dollar range had he had he played the whole season at the same rate, or if he had slumped, we could be talking about him as a twenty dollar player too. But I, I, you know, in my prop, my thing with Enciarte, and this kind of speaks a little bit to what Ray was saying about Trout, but it kind of in a different context. Enciarte maxed out at bats this year. I know he's missed a little time in September, but at one point he was just leading leading the league in plate appearances, and he earned it because he's hitting lefties. Uh, I think there's more of a chance that, I mean, he'll fall off in plate appearances. He could even fall into a platoon if he stops hitting lefties. So I think there's a more of a more of a danger that we uh, that we see Enciarte just strictly on playing time, you know, not to mention getting hurt, uh, losing some time. Uh, you know, Fam. Fam is one of these guys that I, you know, I, I'm baffled. I mean, was it the, was it the Lasix? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I know he had eye surgery. I think it was Lasix. Was that all it took? And maybe maybe this is the baseline, in which case he'd probably be the best of the three. But I don't know going in that we can say that. So, uh, 
I'm going to go with Larry Schechter's $1 buy. Yeah, I, I stayed away from Fam too because I don't really have anything intelligent to add on that. I'm as baffled <laughs> as you are. I am going to go with Tommy Fam of the three of them, and it is because of the LASIK eye surgery. I've just seen uh, enough evidence that I do believe that a, a major change in a guy's vision is going to play a lot of uh, pay a lot of benefits to him, and, and I think it's one of those game-changer type of things that can happen. Now, the one thing that kind of makes me cautious about that is that uh, both Merrifield and Pham are close to 30 years old and Enciardi's only 26 and I think that has uh, should have some bearing on it but in, in all three cases they, they run and in all three cases they figure to keep running and given the relative paucity of uh, stolen bases these days maybe any one of the three would be a, a nice get. Uh, speaking of stolen bases Billy Hamilton is a specialist he's at about $22 this year Nelson Cruz is a specialist kind of a homer and especially an rbi monster now considering hamilton's injury history and considering cruz's age which of these two guys figures to be a safer bet next year if you're looking for a specialist in round three or four uh, todd what do you think uh all right leaving the i'd rather get power than speed or speed and power argument out of it to sort of take away from the question i'm gonna excuse me i'm gonna go billy hamilton and just because, unless he gets hurt on the first day of the season, he's going to get, I mean, maybe he gets hurt halfway through, he's still going to have 40 steals at that point. So he still has a pretty strong floor, um, you know, uh, uh, with with the steals. And I you know, I just I just don't know about Nelson Cruz. So I'm going to go with Hamilton and, um, you know, not using game theory, just on, you know, comparing the two players. Todd's probably got the right idea in terms of just comparing the two players, but I, I sort of can't separate myself from the game theory. And Cruz, you know, is I, I would say Cruz, even with the age, is a lower risk commodity for any one particular draft pick. But the problem is, if I take Cruz, I still got to go find Billy Hamilton stolen bases somewhere else. And I don't think there's a, a lower going to be all that low risk and opportunity to do that, or it's going to cost me two or three drafts roster spots. So, you know, I, I agree with Todd that Hamilton's got the, you know, 40 stolen base floor, even in limited playing time. And, you know, I'll take that. Uh, give me the 40 stolen bases and I'll go find, you know, any, any number of seemingly infinite power sources to uh, re- replace what I'm not getting by rostering Nelson Cruz. And of course, there's an element of context here too. If you happen to have the good luck to get Altuve or Blackman at the top of your draft, maybe you don't need the, uh, the, uh, stolen bases quite as much and now you might actually be looking for power at it all it's all very contextual I, I understand that of the two I, i'd go for billy hamilton as well i just think there's so many home runs and rbis out there nowadays considering the run scoring environment i think uh, if you have a choice between two commodities always take the one that's harder to get uh, you want we probably should point out though blackman's not running yeah i mean i i think the same thing i think blackman 30 steals he's only got 13 so just just to, just not to mislead people, because I'm in my head he still he steals too. So I wonder when we start thinking about Blackman, if we need to temper our expectations next year. I mean look, he's still getting runs, RBIs, average. He's still a top first round player. But I don't think we can say to ourselves, you know, I got all right, I got power and speed. I think you have to say, all right, I got a little bit of speed. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and the other thing about Hamilton that you know I did this summer and not in if if you're in a trading league. You know the the floor on Hamilton is those forty stolen bases and part time work, and if you if he plays 
a half or two-thirds of a season and stakes you to a base, you can always turn Billy Hamilton into power in season if you're legal odds trading. That's an excellent point. Uh, down at the bottom of the hitter value pile, we see a couple of noteworthy names who've actually been pretty good producers in years past. The veterans like Mike Napoli having a terrible year except for home runs. Ben Zobris is not playing well. Gregory Polanco has been a disappointment. Alex Gordon's been a complete bust and Bradley Miller as well. These guys are actually all below replacement value. They're minus dollar values on the Baseball HQ uh, valuation system. Now, our mutual friend Gene McCaffrey likes to talk about looking at last year's bums as next year's potential targets. But, of course, you got to pick the right bums. So among these bums or other ones, if you have them, which are you looking at as maybe next year's big turnaround winners? Well, a name, I'm, I'm actually checking to see where he falls in my list of numbers just to make sure that I'm not taking somebody. All right, he comes out at $2 on my list, so that's close enough. I'm not giving up on Jonathan LaCroix yet. Mainly, you know, I had him as a top catcher on the board this year. Uh, I'm not going to do that next year, but I'm not ready to give up. Now, explaining him is almost as difficult as explaining Fam because the guy made, regular, you know, fantastic contact, but it was weak. And I hate, you know, I don't like, you know, he sacrificed, you know, power for contact, that sort of thing. I don't know. Wouldn't surprise me if we found out he's been hiding an injury all year long, which is hard to do a catcher, but still. So he's he's one guy. Um, you know, we don't. You know, you can ask me specifically if you want details, but some other names I wrote down were Michael Franco, Stephen Piscotti, Addison Russell, uh, Marte, who we talked a little bit about before, and something that begins with an S that I can't I can't even understand my own writing. Oh, Kyle Schwarber. I'm not giving up on Kyle Schwarber yet. Um, of the names you kind of mentioned. I don't know. Uh, I think they're going to be playing Zorbis less and less with Ian Happ and with uh, Javier Baez in the picture. Polanco's a, a guy I'm sure will come up a lot. What is he? Where will he bounce back? Gordon's been terrible for a long time. Bradley Miller's interesting. I don't think he has as much eligibility as he had coming into the season, but um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't mind him uh, as kind of a, if I can slot him into utility. Ray, who's your uh, next year's bum this year? Of the guys you mentioned, I, I agree with Todd that I like Polanco the most, and that's much of you know age and prior track record. Uh, I, I think he's got the highest ceiling by far of those guys, and <coughs> you know time time is on his side, unlike some other guys like Gordon and Napoli. Uh, some other interesting names that come to mind: uh, Jock Peterson is one that I'm probably not giving up on. Uh, Jason Kipnis is only I think 29 or 30 this year, and you know if he gets back to health, I, th- I still think there's a much more productive season. You know, or a couple of seasons left in his career. Uh, I like what we saw from Dansby Swanson in the second half, and I would imagine the hype machine will pick up on that before spring. But, you know, if he's under the radar, I would buy into that. Uh, basically, I'm going to, you know, I'm more likely to bet on uh, bet on rebounds from people who are on the uh, good side of the age curve and have some kind of track record. Yeah, I agree with all that. I, I agree with all the names that I've heard so far. I'd also like to throw out there Ian Desmond. I think this is a kind of a lost year for him, but we have seen him be a pretty useful producer. And if he kind of slips through the cracks or gets forgotten next year, I wouldn't be sleeping on him or Lucas Duda, for that matter. I think uh, the batting average this year has been a real disappointment, but I think there's room for recovery there. A couple of other big names, bigger names, in fact, having some pretty terrible years are Chris Davis of Baltimore and especially Miguel Cabrera of Detroit, a future Hall of Famer, a first-rounder this year. What's the interest for 2018, Todd? Um, Davis is the same as always. I mean, his average just you know, fluctuates. If you can get him in there, you know, if you can get him at a, at a, at a uh, corner position, don't mind him at all. I, just to make it clear, we're talking about the, um, right. the one of Baltimore, not the, uh, as they say, Chris with a C. Um, you see, we can see that in our notes. The 
uh, the, uh, unless someone's behind me, they're, they're not quite sure. So I've gotten called out so many times this year on podcasts. Which Davis are you talking about? Uh, Miggy. We, we, know which, we know which Miggy we're talking about. Ah, oh, man, it's, it's, it's so tough just because he's got the, the, the injury, the, you know, the back injury. But he's making such solid, hard contact. But are the Detroit StatCast readings off a few, uh, off a bit, as what seems to be the case? So it, there's just so much going on there. Um, you know, bad backs don't go away. So if that, if that's if that's a cop out, if it's you know if I'm if it sounds like I'm not trying to analyze what I think Herrera are doing by saying I'm, I'm I'm reticent because of his bad back, so be it. Um, I I'm, I'm staying away from Cabrera. Uh, I don't know. I just there's so much going on there. I think we see a better season than we do this year, but I just don't know. If, uh, I'd like to find out where he's going to be drafted. If it's the third or fourth round, I can I can see taking a chance. Other than that, I just don't know. I think I want to. I, I think I want as they as the kids say some exposure, but I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to be highly invested. I don't want to be highly invested either. But you know, and certainly I agree with the point about bad bad backs. But on the other hand. I will bet on Hall of Fame talent until it establishes itself that it's not Hall of Fame talent anymore. So, as Todd said, it all comes down to where he gets drafted. And if I'm just scrolling around the dollar values this year of other first basemen who are similar to Cabrera, it's it's interesting because there are a bunch of guys who we were just talking about. He's in the neighborhood of Ian Desmond and Lucas Duda and... Brandon Belt and other disappointments this year. If you're asking me among those guys, who, I, who do I want for next year? I want the Hall of Famer. But you know, how far up the draft board do I push him until we, you know, third or fourth round sounds awfully high to me right now. So you know, tell me what his ADP is, and we can have a more concrete conversation. But I will bet on some degree of a rebound here. I'm thinking more about it in an auction setting, and I wonder if Miguel Cabrera is exactly the kind of guy that you can set a value in your mind and throw him out as like the fourth guy. In the as soon as your first round toss comes in an auction setting and see if there's a lot of money chasing Miguel Cabrera or everybody's going to be a little frightened and not willing to to chase. I think that there's a chance you could get him by setting the context yourself in an auction format uh, to get Miguel Cabrera at undervalue with and thereby mitigate the risk a little bit. I'm not sure. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick Davitt here with uh, Ray Murphy and Todd Zola in the end end of the season roundtable for 2017. And before we move along, I know, Ray, uh, you mentioned that you're working hard on the uh, Baseball HQ books. So what's going on with those? Yeah, just this week we opened up pre-sales for the 2018 Baseball Forecaster and Minor League Baseball Analyst. We unveiled the covers. It's our uh, what we're calling our good hair editions with uh, you know fully coiffed. Uh, Charlie Blackman and Vlad Guerrero Jr. So uh, we're excited about those. And as I said on Twitter yesterday, now we have the cover and it's just the the minor matter of the 288 pages of analysis to go inside the cover that we need to put together between now and uh, Thanksgiving. So that's uh, that's the focus. But those are both uh, available for pre-order at BaseballHQ.com. Now uh, the forecaster, as always, uh, will be released to those with annual standing orders uh, by Thanksgiving and will sh- ship in early December. And uh, the MLBA is an early 2018 product. And, of course, uh, later on, we're about five weeks away or so from the event of the year outside of draft day, and that's First Pitch Arizona. Todd, I know you're a regular uh, attendee out there. Um, For those who haven't heard us talk about it, and anybody who's followed this podcast for any length of time probably has, but uh, tell us again, why do you think First Pitch Arizona is worth going to? Uh, Let's see. Um, 
how 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 long do we have? No, basically, listen. Uh, it, it it's it's baseball. It's 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 good friends. It's not baseball with good friends. It's seeing games. It's some of the best panels that you're gonna find. Panel discussions. Some speakers. Some in the you know in the fantasy industry, and and they've done a great job of bringing in some beat writers and and, and organizational people to expand it and scouts. It's uh, it's just it's a wonderful experience. And the camaraderie and the uh, you know the friendships, that sort of thing that have been developed through the first pitch forum, is is second to none to be honest with you. And, you know people know me a little bit. I'm a little out of sorts in in Vegas and in New York, but you know I'm kind of in my zone. I'm kind of in my comfort zone when it comes to the first pitch forum. It's kind of you know that's the one place you'll see me smiling almost all the time. And uh, I just I can't I can't say enough good things about it. I've been going since Albert Pujols rookie season. That's the way I can uh, reference it, at least the year before that, because I uh, saw Pohols, uh, you know, at the AFL just destroy it. So that's kind of my time reference is how long I've been there. I saw I saw Albert Pujols, uh, you know, the, the AFL season before he, you know, set the National League on fire. That's how long I've been going. And Ray, you've been around uh, the uh, first pitch Arizona event practically since its inception, I imagine. And uh, what's new this year and what uh, what's exciting to you that, uh, that that people might, even if they've attended, might be on the fence, then they think, oh, that's something I, I really got to see. There's a core number of uh, attendees who come every year and the you know surveys we do every year are just astounding in their, um, in, the, in the feedback we get, something like 98% of the people say, you know, it was a great value for them. They had a great time and they want to come back again. It's a 98%, you know, expressing interest in return rate. And yet, you know, the, the conference is roughly the same size as it's been the last you know, number of years. There's, you know, little over 100, 100 paid attendees or whatever. But the, the, the demand and the interest from the industry people grow, is growing faster than the public, which is sort of an ironic, ironic thing. We get more and more speakers and more and more people raising their hand to speak or just wanting to be there or finding a way to participate every year. Uh, you know, it, it's become this you know, this event that industry people won't miss. And as we added, add more and more people to the industry roster, these same, you know, 100, 120 attendees, you know, it's not the same people every year, but that same number are getting, you know, even more exposure to what, 25 people from the industry, 30 people from the industry, 35 people from the industry, and then, you know, 15 baseball HQ writers. It's almost, you know, industry voice attendee, you know, is, the ratio is, you know, getting to be something like two to one, which you, you just can't beat. If you want to go bend somebody's ear on a prospect or, a, you know, somebody who's got a you know, vested interest in your team, uh, you know, your home team or, you know, one talk score sheet or NFBC or whatever it is, there's, there's literally an expert and industry voice for every niche, every game, almost for every attendee. So, you know, how can you not, how can you not want to jump in on that? And uh, I should point out there was plans in the works to have a live uh, Baseball HQ Radio podcast uh, produced. Uh, where does that stand, Ray? Yeah, there's going to be, uh, we're setting up a podcast room for, I think, uh, Friday afternoon, evening, and uh, I know you're going to podcast, and uh, uh, Paul Sporer and Jason Collette are going to do that as well with their show, and uh, might even be one or two more. So there's going to be uh, a whole bunch of uh, audio content emanating from uh from the desert getting dropped in people's uh, podcast apps at various points during the weekend or right after. 
And of course, we should mention that in addition to all of the uh, seminars and uh, stuff like that that goes on, uh, a lot of time gets spent out at the ballpark, and it's a really beautiful situation because uh, hardly anybody goes still. I think that the attendance is growing slowly, but it's not a big thing like spring training is. Uh, certainly, it's not hard to get a t- seat at the table, and as a matter of fact, uh, tickets to games are part of the package when you register, and boy, you get to see some dynamite guys. Uh, Todd mentioned uh, having seen Albert Pujols when he was uh, had two work feet among other things and uh and uh, I remember I've told this story, but sitting at the park uh, one evening and they're standing in the uh, one in the on deck circle and the other guy and they're just chit chatting because they're up in the inning. Uh, Mike Trout and Bryce Harper on the same team sitting in front of our faces, and you could tell obviously these guys could play uh, some good prospects this year. I, the guy I'm looking forward to see is uh, Victor Robles, and I, I understand Francisco Mejia, the uh, Cleveland catcher prospect, is uh, due out there, and Ronald Acuna from the Braves. Uh, anybody that uh, I haven't mentioned that you guys are looking forward to seeing out there. I, uh, I, I'm not, I haven't gotten that far yet. I've seen the list out, and I will. What I do before I actually before I go, uh, I go a little early and I stay a little late. I'm very much interested. In. After that, I'm going to sort of player by year. But I, I will make a point of seeing certain players uh, when I when I know when I'm going and you know playing my trip around it. Ray, any prospects are really exciting to to you to see? Yeah, for, for, so, you know, a couple of years ago, we saw Aaron Judge hit a couple of home runs, I think, in the Fall Stars game. And last year, it was uh, Bellinger who, you know, sort of caught everyone's eye and was sort of the big takeaway. And obviously, he developed this year. Uh, and now he's the, you know, come see, he's a big part of our promotional materials. You know, come find, uh, you know, next year's Bellinger. And, you know, for me right now, at least with the, you know, I'm not a prospect wonk, but uh, to me, Acuna is the... Uh, leader uh, right now for the guy who will have that kind of impact next year who we're going to see in Arizona and then have him roll right through the uh, right through the season we um, you know play hasn't started out there where it's about to uh, I remember a couple of years ago we got out there and it was Chris Bryant who was just destroying the league and it was just obvious that he was going to make an immediate impact on the majors the following spring and sure enough he did and I, I wouldn't be surprised if five weeks from now by the time we get to Arizona, it's, you know, everyone's talking about what Acuna is doing out there. And Ray, how do people sign up to go to First Pitch Arizona? Yeah, if you go to BaseballHQ.com, there's a uh, big, you know, Arizona desert orange and red shaped logo on the right side of the homepage. Just click on that. You can get all the details there. And so you should. I've been out there many times and I can tell you that outside of your draft, there's no more fun to be had in fantasy baseball than heading on out to Phoenix and first pitch Arizona. And you know, of all the prospects I mentioned, I don't think one of them was a pitcher, probably in keeping with the first half of our roundtable, but there is one pitcher I'm really looking forward to seeing, and that's Stellar Mitch Keller in the Pittsburgh organization. He'll be out in the Arizona Fall League as well. And uh, also, later on in this show, Alex Becky discusses Stellar Mitch Keller as well as Boston third base prospect Michael Chavis in his last frequent Flyers comment of this season. Let's move on now, guys, to the pitchers, and we'll start with the pitchers the same way we did with the hitters. Who's a guy who's good value this year, might make him a little bit overdrafted next year, and pretty likely not to deliver that kind of value? Start with you, Ray. I'm going to go with Gio Gonzalez, who's you know after the Kershaw... Uh, Scherzer sort of Strasburg group has been as good as anybody on the NL side this year but I despite his dominance and despite the favorable team context I feel like I know who Gio Gonzalez is and he isn't this guy 
So uh, I'm going to say that if somebody tries to put him in the top 10 or 12 or 15 starters or, you know, for, for lack of a better vernacular, somebody wants to make him an SP1 in a mixed league next year, they're going to be disappointed. And Todd Zola, you're having a little technical trouble with the old microphone, but we still have you on the phone. Glad of it. So let's ask you the same question. Who's a pitcher this year's doing fairly well you think might be overdrafted next year as a result of it? You know, if we keep to the first two rounds, um, to be honest, you know, I think every pitcher in the first two rounds is going to, you know, is going to earn it. And there's only four, there's five guys I see doing it with Kershaw, Kluber, Sale, Scherzer, and, and Midas and Bumgarner. If I have to pick which of those five has the best chance of not finishing in the second round, top 30 overall, I'll go, I'll go with Madison Bumgarner. And like I said, I really do think he's going to. But of those five, he's the guy. And it's more of a team context. It's, he's going to be playing, I think, for the worst team and therefore have a less of a chance of getting wins. So, and, and plus his strikeout rate isn't great. It's just the innings. And maybe we're at a point now where we can't count on 220 innings from Madison Bumgarner. So maybe, maybe I just talked myself into maybe he won't. I think maybe he's the answer. Uh, I, I'm not even so sure that he'll get second-round value anymore. I'm also curious what you guys think about Zach Greinke. He's top 10 value in pitching so far this year, and he'll finish somewhere near there. And it's a big bounce-back season after last year's uh, poor performance. My question, Todd, is do you believe enough in Zach Greinke's bounce-back year to bet on it for 2018? I do, and... Listen, they went through this entire season uh, teasing the humidor, and it, they got it, they put it off. You know, they, we may have a humidor in Arizona next year. And, you know, if that's the case, I really like Greinke. So, I mean, he, he'll give back some from this year because he is getting a little bit older. And he's going to have some more, you know, knock on wood, at least if you're an Arizona Diamondback fan, have some more playoff innings under his belt. But I do think, you know, I think that we're going to find out that 200 and 2016 was kind of the outlier year, and that he's still the same pitcher that he was. Um, but, you know, is he a top 30, you know, not overall pitcher, but top 30 pick for me? No, but if I don't go for one of those top five pitchers, I'm happy to start my staff with Granke in somewhere between the third and fifth round. Like Ray said earlier, you know, let me see where the market flushes out. Yeah, I think Todd hit the nail on the head. I think his 2015, which if I remember correctly, was his last season with the Dodgers, where he was you know, unbelievable and got the giant contract from Arizona. If you wash out 2015, where he was out over his skis, and 20, 2016, where he you know, was a little banged up and took a little bit of a beating, he's got a five- or six-year track record of being pretty much what he's shown in 2017 so you got to mark him down a little bit for advancing age and there are questions about the ballpark and the humidor and all of that but you know I, I think what we're seeing this year is essentially the real Zach Greinke as far as being back on you know we know what his baseline is and now he's got to plot that on his career career evolution. I agree. I think Zach Greinke could be a, a guy you want to target next year because I think people are going to be worried about his age. They'll be worried about the ballpark. They'll be worried about that uh, bad 2016 season. And uh, I don't think there's a reason to be as worried about it. Now, we talk about Greinke. You guys mentioned Kershaw Scherzer, Sale Kluber, maybe Madison Bumgarner after the recovery from his uh, offseason injury. All these guys have been pretty dependable, and you mentioned their dependability in discussing them. Should uh, 2018 drafters be looking at more pitchers than just Clayton Kershaw as potential first-round material, Ray? 
first round of the draft in a mixed league? No, I don't think so, but I'm the wrong guy to ask because I've never actually even taken Kershaw in the first round. It's just not how I build my teams. But, you know, to the you know, if you're willing to take Kershaw, you're, there's really no reason not to be willing to take Scherzer either. I think I'd draw the line there, though. I don't mind taking, you mentioned Kershaw and Scherzer, uh, Sale or Kluber. I'm going to put Bumgarner in the second round. But I think they're both in play at the wheel. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where you're kind of drafting two players at the same time, and you're taking either uh, Kluber or Sale with the 13th, 14th, or 15th pick. Figure you're going to get the same here you wanted anyway. So it's kind of like, eh, is it a first or is it a second rounder? It's just kind of which order you decided to take them in. And I, I don't know. I, it, it, this is NFBC. It's all contextual to your league. Um, but in the NFBC, I do see where taking you know i'm not going to force zach Greinke at the at my you know 2.24 i'm not going to do that but if we're talking about one of the big four in the you know at the first round wheel i'm all for that and Bumgarner, i can see a little bit later in the second you know if he if he you know maybe then i have the same decision at the two three wheel do i take Bumgarner? Uh, you know, with, with the with the third, the, the the you know the third to last pick on the second round, and or do I hope he lasts until the third round? So I, uh, and, you know, again, it's, it's home league people, it's it's completely different. But as Ray can say, the NFBC is its is its own entity, and you sort of have to, you know, as, as Patrick you was saying at the beginning, uh, you know, do you do you do you sort of do a deep dive in your league? You know, there's not one size fits all. You have to consider within the context of your league. Yeah, and if you go back and look at you know some people who implemented that strategy that you're talking about, Todd, getting one or even two starters at the wheel this past year, I mean, as, as often as you, a, after Kershaw and Scherzer, you started to see Bumgarner and Syndergaard, you know, going in that anywhere from pick, you know, 14 through 20 range and ask those owners how they feel about that now. I still think, you know, Kershaw, Kershaw and Scherzer own the reliability. I think you can say the same about Kluber and Sale. So it's fair to include them, but I, I, you know, after that, I think you know there, there's still higher risk on those pitchers than those hitters. The, the hitter, the pitchers who get taken up, bit up to that tier change every year, but you know, then but the blow up risk is is measurable. Yeah, I'm, I'm not forcing Carlos Carrasco at 3.2 because I want a pitcher early. You know, I'm waiting a little bit. But again, the first round question, I am not going to poo poo that idea. Well, we all kind of agree in theory that uh, really if you're willing to draft Clayton Kershaw fourth overall, as lots of guys were this year and have been in the past, uh, why wouldn't you be willing to draft Max Scherzer right after him if if uh, if it so happens that you're of the belief that a top pitcher's worth that level of a pick? So the question is, even if we think that there's some justification for taking pitchers in the first round, based on past habits and based on everything we've heard about in the last couple of years about how pitchers aren't as risky as everybody thinks, do you think we will see more pitchers taken higher in the in the draft next year? I think if we're talking NFPC, I think we will. Although, there were, I mean, Scherzer was already a first-round pick in the NFPC. Uh, I do think we're going to, I do think we're going to see, you know, the the top pitchers are going to go up a little bit and the, the next tier are going to go, in most leagues, go down a little bit. But, you know, NFPC is a different entity. So I, I do think we will. I think these four have separated themselves so much. To me, you, you were saying, wouldn't you take Scherzer? I, you know, two of my teams that I, you know, kind of alluded to not doing so well earlier. I had Bumgarner as my number one pitcher, and you know, then El Tao Wars and Mixed Labor. 
So I was kind of of that mind that if I believe in building a winning team with Kershaw, I think I can build a winning team with Bumgarner, you know, getting a little bit later. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was just unfortunate that he, you know, had that mishap midseason, although neither of those teams would have won regardless. But that's, you know, at least, you know, the, at least I thought the thought process was sound. But I do think, I think, you know, the two that we keep saying, Kluber and Sale, I think those are the two guys that are now jumping up. I think, I think Kershaw and Scherzer were there. I think the better question, to be honest, is, is Kershaw still the number one pick? That's where I was going to go. I mean, Kershaw's got, you know, 2016, he threw 150 innings, and this year he's on track for 170, 175. And, you know, when he really jumped into the first round a few years ago, the value proposition had as much to do with his ratios as it did with the, you know, 220 innings and, you know, taking a run at 300 strikeouts. And the innings just aren't there to do that. And I'm not sure you can project him to be a, you know, north of 200 innings guy anymore. And without that, I'm not so sure the value proposition's there. Yeah, I think I think I'd rather. I think I'm still gonna. I might have Kershaw ranked higher, but I think I'd rather wait and get Scherzer if if, if that or in an auction, not pay what it takes to Kershaw for Kershaw and pay what it takes for Scherzer because I still think I don't know. I guess I still think the market will have Kershaw just a little higher, but I think in you know my personal ranks, I think I'd rather have Scherzer. And you know what? And the difference between Scherzer, Sale, and Kluber isn't that much. So maybe I'll wait and I get one of those guys, Kluber or Sale. I'm just looking at them now, uh, Kluber, Sale, and Scherzer. Uh, Kluber actually a little bit higher than the other two, as I mentioned earlier, with the uh, Baseball HQ valuations, 41 for Kluber, 39 for Sale, 36 for Scherzer. And I think that's a function of wins, a couple of wins here and there. But uh, Chris Sale's got 300 strikeouts, and boy, oh boy, uh, you know, that's that's not nothing when you're starting to think about it. And if you thought Chris Sale would be the guy who goes after Scherzer, the guy who goes after Kershaw, and maybe even goes after Kluber, I can really see making a play for Sale as the fourth guy because he could be the first guy just nobody recognizes yet or accepts it. Yeah, I actually I have a little bit different numbers, but I've got Kluber, Kluber 39, Sale 36, Scherzer 35, then Kershaw at 30. So, you know, we're talking about the big four. But, um, again, the numbers are so close that, you know, they, they could flip-flop with two more starts each. Although, more than likely, Sales and Kluber's last start is going to be like the, the, of the four-inning variety. But we'll see. The second round uh, values, anyways, have four more pitchers, including Craig Kimbrell and Kenley Jansen. Based on what we've been saying, do you think owners should be a little more willing to be aggressive on drafting those premium closers in the high rounds, or is there still that uh, stigma that says you got to wait on your closers to get more uh, well-rounded players earlier? Ray, what do you think? You know, Kimbrel might be by AL Cy Young this year uh, for fan- or most valuable fantasy pitcher this year. I mean, the, 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 the numbers he's put up, the strikeouts, you know, 125 strikeouts out of a reliever is just bonkers and what that allows you to do in terms of your team construction is just amazing in terms of managing your managing your bullpen the problem is i think we know where these guys baseline skills are the jansen the kimbrell the, you know these you know what, what, what todd will call the you know the 100 strikeout relievers you know but the problem is you know the the median expectation for their skills is not worthy of that you know third fourth round position but whichever one of them goes out and has the best year ends up with a valuation there i can't tell you right now whether kimbrell or jansen or you know that which guy in that top tier is going to be the one that you know gets 
a little good luck on Babbitt or a little good luck on home run for fly or, you know, has the extra where his elbow feels good and he's able to snap off more sliders next year and thus leads to that, you know, the leading the pack in terms of value and just the observed strikeout numbers. So I'm still going to, you know, sort of let the closers come to me a little bit or it'll be a more context sensitive question next spring than saying like, I want the perceived top closer in round three because i'm not sure i know who that is todd you willing to take a closer a little higher than in years past uh i don't know about in years past because there's always someone that fits this mold but what i do is is it's sort of always my plan b i don't think you can like go through a draft and oh wait a minute kimbrell's still available and take him i think you have to have planned to take be it kimbrell or be it Jansen, and I'm not even sure if I'm willing to put anybody else in that breath right now, although I'd like to say Corey Knabel, but I need it, and he needs to prove it. But if, if, if you fade starting pitching, if, you, if you're not going to draft a starting pitcher for a little while, you can, you can plan, you can make a strategy to do this sort of thing, and to draft a Kimbrell or Jansen or, some, or you know, Chapman. Some people even like to double hit them, get their two closers early, and then really wait on their starting pitching. So I don't think it would be done in a vacuum. I'm talking mixed leagues. I think it can be sort of, you know, if the pitching just did not work out the way you wanted to, I think you can construct a plan to make it work. I'm still a guy in an AL only or an NL only that will take the discount on a Jansen or on a Kimbrel, and I will, you know, I will pay the twenty twenty two dollars uh, this year was higher. But I mean, I will, I will, I will. I'm not hesitant to pay for the one closer in an only league. In a mixed league, I still want to wait to the middle and get my columns or you know get those kind of guys and not do the Kimbrel route because to me, again, I kind of referenced gimmicky earlier. I don't know if it's quite a gimmick strategy, but I don't I don't want to kind of have to go to Plan B and try to make it go from there because it kind of constricts you. So I can see doing it, but it's not my first plan. And if you're going to wait on the closers, you guys, uh, I think a guy to watch for next year is Roberto Osuna of Toronto. I think he might have uh, seen his value fall a little bit because of all the trouble he had with blown saves. But his skills are actually up. They're better than ever. He's uh, got an 11.7 strikeouts per nine and a 1.3 walks per nine, which gives him a really unreal command ratio of uh, around nine, I think. And uh, the middle of the year is when he started blowing all those saves, and it turns out there's a bit of noise in that, namely that he was having some um, personal issues. His his wife was going to have a child in Mexico, and you know separation anxiety. He's 22 years old, and your your wife's uh, 2,000 miles away having a baby, and all that kind of stuff. And we think that these guys are automatons, and I think we make that mistake sometimes. And then once we factor in the fact that you know, Frank Thomas got a divorce one year and he was terrible that year. Those kind of things matter. I think Roberto Osuna could be a real real good get next year. I agree 100%, Patrick. We mentioned a, a couple of minutes ago Luis Severino. He's one of the other pitchers in the second round value this year. Steven Strasburg's right around the same level. Which of them would get your extra dollar? I think, Todd, I know where you're going. Yeah, I love Strasburg. I mean, I don't want to say I love Strasburg. Um, I mean, as good as Strasburg can be, uh, you know, I, I made some mistakes of pitching this year. I don't know if I'm already making one by jumping on Severino's back uh, bandwagon, but I'm not afraid of the ballpark. Yankee Stadium gives up homers. It doesn't give up runs as much as some people think it does. Uh, I mean, you know, when I say I like a guy's makeup, I don't care about his makeup unless I really like his stuff. I like his stuff, and I also like the composer he's showing. If a guy makes an error behind him, he doesn't, you know, kick at the mound and, 
and pout if he misses a call, if the umpire you know doesn't give him a close pitch, he doesn't stare in. I, I, I just I like I like what I'm seeing. You know, my my untutored scouting eye likes what he sees at a Luis Severino, and maybe you know it, sometimes you have to make these decisions. Faced with that decision, you know, if, if I'm fading pitching and I'm looking to start my staff in the third or fourth or fifth round, I'm, I'm again, I'm not, I'm not hesitant, I'm not reticent to go with with Luis Severino at all. What do you think, Ray? I really have a hard time separating them. I think I like, I would give an edge to Strasburg because looking at our values, they're just about identical for what they've done this year, and Strasburg's done it in 25 fewer innings. So maybe I'm just falling in the trap of. You know, just wish casting the boy. If Strasburg ever gets to 200 innings again, he'd be amazing. But you know that there's that kind of ceiling there with Strasburg. And even if you set a value that projects him for you know 160 innings or something like that, which is about what he's going to do this year, he meets that value. But there's still that you know there, there's still a little window for upside if he has a particularly healthy year or as he matures, he you know manages to you know manage his body a little better or whatever it is. Uh, you know, Severino's been brilliant and I. I have nothing bad to say about him. I get what Todd's saying about the ballpark, but I think there's still an overall AL East versus NL East context there that favors Strasburg. So I think that's still where I come down, but it is very close. For me, I'll lean slightly to Severino uh, along with Todd. And it's for me, it's this Tommy John question with Steven Strasburg. Uh, that injury history always scares me, and I don't know what the figures are. Maybe you guys do, but there's been research to suggest that once you've had one, you're much more likely than somebody who hasn't to have the second one. I, I don't know. I, I'd like either one of them, but the injury risk scares me a little more with Strasburg. Uh, two other guys we mentioned, uh, Gio Gonzalez. A little bit earlier, he's in the top 10 of starting pitcher value. So is Robbie Ray of Arizona. Something of a surprise, although this is a guy we've been waiting for a long time. Everybody's hot prospect coming into each year, and he never quite get quite gets there. This year he did quite get there. Which of them do you think is most likely to deliver top-round performance next year? Uh, to me, this one's, this one's a slam dunk, and it's Robbie Ray. Um, the, the strikeouts have always been there. It's Kenny, you know, Kenny Honer's control. And he's shown that he has. And we alluded to the possibility of a humidor before. Man, that Arizona staff, I mean, it's going to hurt the hitters a little bit. But, you know, when you talk about Granke and Walker and, and Ray and Godley, and, and, you know, this staff could get even better. So if, if Robbie Ray can throw strikes, to me the only thing keeping him from, I don't know, the top tier, but right below the top tier, you know, we, can we trust? That he's going to continue to throw, you know, not not walk. He's going to throw strikes, but continue not to have blowups of uh, walks, which also tempers his innings. So to me, this is a slam dunk. Uh, I want some Robbie Ray. Ray, you want some Robbie Ray? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I think Gonzalez is doing about the best he can do this year. We know what that guy is, and I think this goes down as a career year. I think the thing I like most about Ray is what Todd was just saying: is that there's still an open avenue for improvement there and that his his strikeout rate you know sort of gives him a window to the elite tier to begin with but as he continues to refine that control he wouldn't be the first guy especially a lefty to do that as he gets into his late 20s you know to get some combination of maintaining the elite stuff and the strikeout rate while improving the command you know there's a there's a path there to you know, top 10 starter for me. I think I agree with you guys on Robbie Ray I, I've thought Gio Gonzalez was something of a uh, 
overperformer all year and everybody I talked to this year on the podcast said the same thing. I mean, he carried it on. Everybody said after the first half, well, watch, he's going to collapse in the second. He actually was just as good, if not better, and he certainly showed uh, decent skills, but uh, Robbie Ray is a 50% higher strikeout rate. That's enough for me, and if he ever fix- fixes that walk issue, boy, oh boy, it's quite a difference. Uh, uh, another two guys pretty close together, Jacob deGrom and Alex Wood, one of them uh, older than we think, one of them maybe younger than we think. Uh, Ray, which one do you like? I've enjoyed Alex Wood in a lot of leagues this year. I think he's you know, he's the best thing I've done this year, but uh, I'm not one to double down on that investment. I think it probably ends up with him being a little overvalued this year, and I'll, I believe I will, uh, you know, if you, if you gave me the choice of either one, in March of 2018, I think I'd be pretty likely to say Degrom. Yeah, no, I agree. Now you 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 referenced the age, and we we kind of talked uh, offline about it. It always blows my mind every year. I have to mention this once in one article that I write. Jacob Degrom is only two years younger than Felix Hernandez. Now that goes two ways. Cause remember, Felix started like when he was 20, so he's been around longer than we thought. But the point being, Degrom, you know, with the haircut, he looks like he's young. He's going to be 30 next year, so he's getting up there. But still. I mean, to me, well, 30 is actually the prime age for pitching. Love what Wood's done. Concerned about the injuries. Um, you know what? I'm going to be concerned about workload because they're going to need him in the playoffs. So I'm going to be concerned about workload next year. And through all the, the trials and tribulations that the Mets have gone through, DeGrom has quietly had a really fine year. So uh, I'm not as concerned about injuries with DeGrom. You know, again, if I'm fading, if I don't get my top four pitchers at that pick number 12 to 16, I'm happy to start my staff with DeGrom. You know, of the two, uh, the, the guy that scares me here is Alex Wood because those pitchers who have a lot of injuries when they're young, it, it that always scares me. And nobody likes injuries at any time, but this guy's had a, a – pretty checkered record on the injury front right from the time he's uh, started out in the in the big leagues or even at the high minors. I don't know. Uh, I see Jacob deGrom. He's got a much less problematic injury history. He's older and more established. Uh, on the subject of uh, playoff workload and the extra innings that get thrown, I did a research report a few years ago. Ray might remember this for Baseball HQ, and it uh, basically found that Guys who pitch extra innings in the in a even in a World Series run and they pick up you know thirty five forty extra innings doesn't affect them the next year at all uh, or if it is, uh, as a as a group it doesn't affect pitchers there may be individual isolated incidents but don't worry about the workload Todd that's what I'll say that well I, I my only problem is is, is it's, it's I, I remember that piece it's specific to Wood he like you mentioned the injuries yeah. the innings jump the fact that he. You know, even this year, jump from the bullpen to the starters. So that it's it's it, it's it's specific to Wood, where I'm a little bit concerned. And fair enough, I'm concerned about that too, but not because of playoffs. I just think he's injury prone, and that's that. But I think he's just adding on to it. Yeah, it just furthers the you know fur. Heck, it furthers the risks that he gets hurt this year, right? I mean, yes. he's yeah. to say he doesn't get hurt in the playoffs. Yeah, I would actually be more worried about that, frankly, than he uh, he gets injured after you know five months off to rest and recuperate. Uh, I'd be way more worried that something goes wrong right away. Uh, in the fourteen dollar, fifteen dollar group this year, a lot of interesting names for next year: Marcus Stroman, Jimmy Nelson, Jake Arrieta falling off the pace a little bit. Uh, Drew Pomeranz got mentioned a little earlier. Aaron and Nola, and Zach Godley. Boy, that, that's uh, some pretty good uh, pitching right there. I'd like your thoughts on this group, guys, because it seems to me that uh, pitchers like this can go quite a bit too high or too low. Which starters are likely to go which way for you, Ray? Um, the guy who I liked most here might have been Jimmy Nelson, but the news this week, the uh, 
that unfortunately this his surgery on his labrum uh, is going to you know hold him out for the early part of 2018 really knocks him to the bottom of those lists for me that's uh, that was really the worst case scenario uh i'm a huge fan of stroman uh especially going back to one of the uh Topics we were talking about a couple of minutes ago with the closers. You know, Stroman, you know, gets dinged against the top tier of starters because uh, his strikeout rate is rather pedestrian for this day and age. But A, I think he's got some potential to increase that. His swing strike rate is kicking up year over year. And at some point, that might turn into additional strikeouts. But I also, you know, in a vacuum, love the idea of drafting him as my first starting pitcher and then making sure I pair him with a Kimbrel or a Jansen to get the get the uh, 100, 120 strikeouts and sort of mitigate that strikeout issue with uh, with, with Stroman and sort of, uh, you know, c- combining those two pitching slots into something that is that represents a closer plus an ace at a, at a slight discount. So that's a that's an added a, a sort of a canned thing I might take with me into early next year. Beyond that, I I think Arietta's name value exceeds his actual value at this point. Pomeranz is, you know, the best thing he's done this year is stay healthy and productive, but I think I question his ability to do that in consecutive seasons, so I might be a little bit off of him next year. Uh, Nola's been fantastic in the second half of this year, and I'll be curious to see what the Phillies do around him, both in the rotation and in the lineup this spring, to see if uh, see if he's someone whose uh, team context improves and maybe makes him a little more palatable to me next year. But I love the skills he's developing. I think the interesting thing about Marcus Stroman is he's a not only a pitch-to-contact type guy, but he's got that devastating sinker, and uh, I think his um, ground ball rate is up over 60% this year. It's one of the top rates in all of baseball, especially among starters. It's almost unheard of. It does cut into his strikeouts, and another effect that it has that might be a bit concerning is it elevates his whip a little bit because all those ground balls, some of them are going to sneak through. We know that. And uh, as a result, he only walks, well, less than three guys per nine innings, but his whip is 129. And for a guy with that few walks, ordinarily, you'd expect that whip to be down around, you know, 115 or something like that. I don't know if that's a concern, uh, Todd, or or not, but uh, what do you think of this group of guys? Yeah, well, you know, speaking specifically to Stroman, he could also have one of those years where the the ball finds the glove and he he has a 1.05 whip because he should be keeping the ball in the yard, which helps the ERA. But um, Ray mentioned Aranola. He's my uh, he's my version of my NL version of Luis Severino. I'm just I mean I, I just really when he's pitching, I don't care if I have him on my team or if I use him in DFS. I'm flipping to that game. I just really enjoy watching him work. I know what does that mean fantasy wise. I you know I think I, I think we're seeing we're seeing stuff out of Nola. And Ray mentioned the team the team context. The Phillies are quietly doing a pretty good job putting together a nice core of both pitchers and hitters. Where you know they can go out and spend some money on a free agent or two, I think they're going to make some noise, at least in the wild card. So I like the team context. Huge Zach Godley. I think people are going to pay for Nola though. Godley, I think, still may be a guy that you know people just aren't trusting yet. And uh, we've alluded to the humidor. Uh, I mean, he, again, he's not a huge strikeout guy, but if I can get Godley as my fourth pitcher in a mixed league, I'm pretty happy about that because I think he's going to give third, you know, SP three type numbers back. Um, you know, uh, we both, Ray and I both seen Pomerantz. You know, he's pitched well. He's outpitched his peripherals a bit, especially home runs. The ERA is a little artificially low. He might be, you know, it's, it's cliche, but he may be better for real baseball than fantasy, so to speak, because I, I think we're going to see some give. He can keep the same skills and have a 3.6 ERA next year instead of the 3.0 that he's carrying now 
or in that neighborhood. But, um, yeah, the, the two guys I'm looking at are Nola and Godley. I don't want to chase Nola, but if it comes with a decent price, I'm going for it. And I'm kind of hoping that the, uh, that the market doesn't believe or trust in the, the, have as much trust in Zach Godley as I do. And now, you know what, if I can take the liberty of, of throwing the name Chase Anderson into the same tier, because I think he belongs in this group, um, I kind of put him in the same uh, breath, breath or thought as Godley, and that I'm kind of hoping the park and the lack of a track record uh, scares people away. I really like what I'm seeing out of Chase Anderson. There's four guys in the sub ten dollar tier this year on value. I think we should be thinking about Garrett Cole, Dylan Bundy, uh, Jose Barrios, and Mike Clevenger. I had Michael Fulmer in this group, but of course he's got the injury issue now. Again, it seems like there could be some bargain potential here, but there also could be some overbuying by owners who are betting on the come a little bit, especially on Barrios. Uh, what do you guys think, uh, Todd? Let's start with you. Which guys have, um, in this uh, little ten dollar group do you like, or not? Uh Cole is what he is. You know, uh, he's a floor guy. He's not a ceiling guy. There's a place for that. Um, Bundy, I guess maybe because I'm scared of the Kevin Gosman scenario. That you know, I, I kind of think of him. That, you know, I'm finally ready to buy into to Dylan Bundy. I was finally ready to buy into Kevin Gosman and got burned. Yeah, you mentioned Barrios. I'm one of those guys that might be chasing him. I won't, you know, I won't go overboard, but I like what I see and I like the team context. And I guess Clevenger is kind of like godly to me in that. I hope people don't realize. I mean, hey, listen, HQ is going to know because they were on they were on Clevenger coming into the season. But you know, I'm hoping you know non-HQ people are still concerned about Clevenger. It's always it's, there's always going to be is he going to be is he in the rotation right now? I think we I think we think he's in the rotation. But you know, listen, the Indians are going to have some more playoff money. Who knows where they're going to finish? They may go out and get another pitcher. And you know, I, I think Clevenger belongs in the rotation, but I don't think we can uh, you know categorically say he's going to be their fourth or fifth starter next year. But I definitely, uh, the two that I'm most interested in there are uh, Barrios and Clevenger. Same with you, Ray. Yeah, I think Todd characterized Clevenger right. I think he's the one you're most likely to be able to get under the radar next year. And as he hinted, I will be very interested in that. Um, I, th- I think there's a nice profit opportunity there. Uh, let me talk a little bit about the guy he Todd didn't touch on, which is Cole, who I think may be a little bit of post-hype or may you know be able to sneak through the cracks between the hype that's uh, going to come with Bundy and certainly Berrios, who's getting up, seems like he's getting a ton of buzz late in the season here. But Cole's going to end up with the season with a ERA just over four, which is nice for masking sort of the uh, skills. And if we go back to you know sort of the questions we had about him this season, coming into this season in terms of durability and that sort of thing, he's answered those and the skills have come back as the year has gone on, which is what you want to see with a pitcher coming off of injury. He's handled the workload. He's rounding into form. And I would, I, I don't think you'll have to pay for this, but I think there's a good chance that what we see out of him in 2018 is the near A's version, the, you know, the 3 to 325 ERA guy that he looked like he was developing into and in fact was in, you know, 2015, 2014 before that. So uh, I, I think there's a there's a discounted, you know, number two rotation type guy in Cole there who you probably won't have to pay that much for. I agree with everything that's been said, so we can just <laughs> move on. Uh, down at the bottom of the pitcher value pile, I like looking at the minus $15 guys every year because you know that's going to be 
end game possibilities, $1 bids or reserve round picks. And there's quite a few of them this year whose names caught my eye for various reasons. I'll just quickly list them off and then I'll ask you guys if any of them interest you for 2018, especially in that uh, $1 end game reserve round kind of context. Uh, Cesar Valdez, Stephen Wright, Nick Pavetta is a Canadian kid, Chris Smith, Eric Scogland, uh, Amir Garrett, of the Reds, Matt Harvey had a bad year, Liesel Verto Bonilla, Jordan Zimmerman, Homer Bailey, Ubaldo Jimenez, Tom Kohler, Tyson Ross, Annabelle Sanchez, Travis Wood, and Tyler Glasnow, and I'm leaving out Bartolo Colon. We got a kind of a mix there of young guys and established veterans. I'm probably going to guess you're more interested in the young guys, but I'll leave it up to you. Uh, Ray, which of the names on that list of minus $15 pitchers offers you any intrigue for 2018? I mean, I think one of the guys like Harvey or Tyson Ross will end up, or I'll throw Stephen Wright in there. Not that he's the same kind of pitcher, but he's got the same problem. One of these, one of these health questions will pop. I don't know if we'll have enough. <coughs> excuse me. I don't know if we'll have enough information in March to figure out who's healthy or looking good or on track for a rebound season. But if uh, you know, those are the kind of guys that everybody watches in March and if things start looking good, if their velocity readings are good, then they might get some you know, late March draft buzz. Uh, I'll comment on Tyler Glass now because I think it's kind of interesting if what I've seen on EHQ forums is a, is a representative of what the marketplace at large is going to think. So, you know, a bunch of people got burned by him earlier in the season and then he got sent down and it looked like he was doing all the right things in the minors and they were being patient with him and honing his command. And now he's come back up to the majors and he, you know, I think in his first start after getting called up, he walked like four guys in the first inning and it was the same old wild glass now. Uh, and now the sentiment on the HQ forums is some idea of why was this guy a prospect? Were we wrong about this guy all along? You know, I'm getting away from this. I'm not falling for this trap again. And that's always when I want to buy. Glass now is, you know, sort of a special case just that he's, you know, such a big guy with complex mechanics and that sort of thing. It's not going to be easy to project when he's going to put it all together or when when or if things are suddenly going to get repeatable for him and things are going to clean up. But when it happens, it's likely to happen in a hurry. So I will likely, you know, sort of continue to chase him in fairly low-risk draft spots because there's a big payoff coming. And realistically, it may not be until 2019 or beyond. But if it if it happens quickly or if it comes early, I want to, I want to make sure I have a part of it. Todd, any of the names here uh, strike you as interesting? Yeah, first of all, I mean, let me speak a little bit towards Ray mentioned Ross and Harvey. I'm not touching either. Um, how long is it till we start saying TOS instead of thoracic outlet syndrome? I mean, we do TJS. I mean, I think we should start. But the point, my point being, we don't know. You know, I don't. I'm not sure that either of those guys are going to be healthy. There isn't enough wealth of information, a databank, to know how we recover from thoracic outlet syndrome. We have a pretty good database of, of TJS. And the problem I'm seeing is as we're building this database of information, haven't seen a ton of successes as far as, you know, Josh Beckett. You know, we haven't seen a ton of successes coming back from it. So I, I want nothing to, you know, Ray, if you beat me in mixed labor with the staff with, uh, you know, Ross and, and Harvey, you know, I'll, I'll buy you a beer at the First Pitch Arizona because you know, I'm not going to be drafting them. But the, uh, the names, I'll buy you a beer anyway just because putting the thing together. But um, I'll buy you two then. The um, the games I like names I like uh, uh, Patrick that you mentioned. I'm a little interested in Nick Pavetta. I mean, I kind of hinted that I I kind of like where Philadelphia is going in general, and I don't know if he'll be the fifth starter or not. I like the stuff. I think he means you know he has to work on sequencing. You know what what 
which of his, which, which of the arsenal can be used against what hitters, that sort of thing. But I like what I'm, enough of what I'm seeing from Pavetta that I think we can see him work into a, a viable back end starter. And of the bounce back guys, Homer Bailey's the guy that I'm that I'm most interested in. He was trash when he first came back, and not that he's pitching well now, but he's pitch, he's showing signs that he could be could be on the way back. And I, I think I also alluded to what I kind of like what Cincinnati's doing a little bit with their team. So I don't uh, Bailey is a guy that I don't mind. You know, as long as I have him in, a, I don't want him in NL. I'm not in NL, NL labor, but I wouldn't want him in NL labor where when you buy him, he's on your roster and you can't replace him. Uh, but I don't mind him at all in a league with reserve. And you know, I, I put him, I draft him in early in a league with reserves to make sure I get him, and then draft a pitcher later. You know, to to backfill. But I'm I'm curious mainly because I was on the the Bailey bandwagon before the injury. You know, I'm uh, I think he's got a chance to bounce back. Todd, I'll make you a deal. You take Bailey, I t- I'll take Harvey, and we'll both finish last in mixed labor next year. And whichever guy does better can buy the other guy a drink at First Pitch Arizona. Maybe the guy who has Matt Harvey could get a Harvey's Bristol Cream. It's a sherry. Or you could have a Bailey's Irish Cream. There's lots of uh, opportunities there. For my two cents worth, uh, I like Nick Pavetta as well. And I think Amir Garrett might be interesting, although uh, because of his prospect pedigree might go a little high. I'm very um, pessimistic about Matt Harvey having a good year, and I'm also pessimistic about getting him at a cheap enough price to make the gamble worthwhile. He's a big name, and he's the kind of guy that uh, as you get towards the end of a draft, especially if you're in a draft with people who are a little bit unprepared or can't make up their minds about, uh, I don't know who this Nick Pavetta guy is, but I've heard of Matt Harvey kind of thing. I think Matt Harvey and Tyson Ross, for that matter, could go for – more than they're likely to earn and certainly more than makes them an endgame prospect. Uh, By the way, Todd, uh, I don't know if you heard the podcast I had with Jeff Zimmerman, but he went to the Sabermetric Conference there in Boston, and he said that they had an expert there, a health expert, who said that all pitchers have thoracic outlet syndrome. It's just a matter of degree whether whether it causes them problems. I've been to, you know, actually I've been to that conference with Ray before. I didn't happen to go this year. Listen, they all have, you know, they all have frayed elbows too. So, um, yeah, no, I, uh, and, and to me, well, they, all, they all haven't had the surgery and that sort of the thing. Right. The recovery right. from the surgery, will they be the same guy? But I think it, it's, you know, I don't get, I don't pretend I know something about, uh, know something about something which I know nothing about, but it's not like you're trying to rebuild up, you know, the, 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 the tendon and like, the, the, like you are with, uh, with, with TGS. It's, it's, it's kind of a different sort of situation, but, um. Now that I know Jeff's going to this conference, I'm probably going to have to go to keep up with him in these leagues now. And finally, guys, uh, we talked a little bit about the Cleveland rotation. Uh, I heard Carlos Carrasco's name get mentioned. Uh, I heard Mike Clevenger's name get mentioned. Of course, we mentioned Corey Kluber. Two other members of the rotation, Danny Salazar and Josh Tomlin. Occasionally, they look really good. And, of course, the uh, Cleveland will be looking very strongly at these guys to take them into the into the playoff round. They're actually below zero in uh, dollar production this year according to baseballhq.com how do you look at them for 2018 right you know tomlin doesn't interest me much i got some good mileage out of him last year but he's a he's a fungible commodity in a mixed league you can run him for a couple of starts or play matchups with him that sort of thing i love salazar you know the skills are elite my concern at this point is that 
uh, either he's going to continue to get injured like this and or Cleveland is going to decide that they can get more mileage out of him as a 100-inning multiple multiple, uh, multiple inning per outing, outing reliever and just use him that way next year. And honestly, that might be the best thing for the guy. I don't know if that will actually come to, come to pass, but they may have uh, they, they may have had enough time, enough of a hard time trying to keep him healthy and in the rotation that they may just throw up their hands and say, you know what, what if we make you a right-handed Andrew Miller? How does that sound? That could be pretty interesting from a value proposition in an only league. Uh, of course, in a mixed league, it virtually eliminates him from consideration. But Andrew Miller is a, a pretty useful guy in any fantasy format. And I think if Danny Salazar were throwing five innings a week in uh, leverage situations for Cleveland, uh, boy, I would kind of take a look at him in much the same way that people were looking at Chris Davinsky this year. Uh, hey, Todd, what do you think of Salazar and Tomlin for 2018? Yeah, just to kind of piggyback on the, the point about Salazar and reliever, a couple of the names that, you know, I know this isn't on script, but a couple of the names that we got to think about that about are Lance McCullers and Vince Velasquez. I think that I think McCullers is more likely to be given another shot at starting, but, it, at, you know, in the end of the, at the end of the day, that might be his role, and I think, I think we're closer to Velasquez being uh, earmarked for that role than, uh, than at least McCullers at this point. But th- I think because of Miller and some other guys, I think a lot of teams are going to be thinking along these lines. Listen, I mean, Tampa's already doing it, right? They've come out and said that they're not starting anybody over five or six innings, you know, going forward. But as far as these two guys go, yeah, I, I have no use for Tomlin. Um, I mean, he just doesn't have enough strikeouts for me. So I understand if you catch in the right time, you can get some good stuff. But I'm never willing to uh, to take the chance. He's sort of the current version of Mark Burley for me. And uh, Danny Salazar, I'm done with Ray. I want to see the role. I may, I may, you know, I, I may put a couple bucks on him in a fungible point in case he does start, or you know, come into a role where, where it's usable. But um, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, as in years past, this is the year for Danny Salazar. I want to, you know, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be on the team. I want him to be on my team when he when he breaks out. He's nowhere near that for me anymore. Well, guys, uh, this has been a pleasure, as I knew it would be. Uh, it's terrific information, terrific analysis, great insights. I do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Ray Murphy, tell us again about the uh, the books, the BaseballHQ.com, uh, two books that you're starting to prepare and when they're going to come out and how to get a hold of them, that kind of thing. Yeah, the Baseball Forecaster and Minor League Baseball Analyst are both available for pre-order now. The Forecaster will ship in early December. The Minor League book will ship in early 2018. If you go to BaseballHQ.com right now, you'll find a couple of big placements on the front page where you can uh, click on either book cover to order them. Uh, This was great fun, and I will see both of you guys in uh, six weeks or so in Phoenix. And it's uh, at RayHQ is your Twitter handle? Yes, indeed. I'll be, uh, as I find an interesting insight in the book process, I will uh, drop them on Twitter. Where can people stay in touch with Todd Zola? First, I want to I want to mention something about the books that Ray's talking about. Everybody knows about the forecaster, how great it is. There's a dearth of actual minor league. I mean, there's a lot of minor league information, but there's a dearth of actual books. Just the way the the way the you know things have gone lately. There's, there's not as many pages you can pick up and read. The, uh, the 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 minor league book that Baseball HQ puts out is fantastic, and not only because it's one of the few ones that are there now. But it really fills a fills a huge void for those of us that like to actually hold things when we're reading them. So I want to. I mean, I don't think it gets enough. Uh, I don't think it has the popularity and the uh, interest that it should, based upon the content. Now, having said that, uh, you know, at Masters Ball, I'm gonna you know, literally going to be starting my projections and my pro, my uh, 
my uh, uh, my my product to have out there to beat the NFBC leagues, which are you know they always say they're going to be November first and they're always November fifteenth. But I'm gonna I'm gonna have stuff launched for November first. Continuing my work at Rotowire and uh, we're wrapping up the year at ESPN because I you know don't do any playoff stuff for them. But you know my my stuff over there at ESPN too. So uh, ESPN as well. So that's gonna you know and on Twitter at Todd Zola. Um, you know what? I probably won't answer your question, but if you there's, there's several different ways. You know, post it on the HQ board, post it on the Rotowire questions or the Masters Ball board, and I will get to your question because you can tell by this long-winded answer, I need more than 140 characters to answer on Twitter. Amen to that. Uh, that's certainly uh, certainly true of me as well. Uh, guys, thanks a million for helping us out. I do appreciate it, and we'll see you soon. Looking forward to it, guys. Thank you, sir. Ray Murphy is the co-general manager at BaseballHQ.com and a speculator columnist at the site. Todd Zola writes for Masters Ball, ESPN, and Rotowire. Before we go, we have one Baseball HQ radio commentary. It's the Frequent Flyers. And here with a look at Boston third baseman Michael Chavis and Pittsburgh starting pitcher stellar Mitch Keller, we mentioned him earlier, is BaseballHQ.com analyst Alex Becky. As we wrap up the 2017 season, we'd first like to congratulate Pittsburgh Pirates second baseman Scott Kingery, our frequent flyer from September 1st, on winning a Rawlings Gold Glove after recording the highest second base fielding percentage of the minors. And now, drumroll please, here are our final frequent flyers for the 2017 season, beginning with 22-year-old Boston Red Sox third baseman Michael Chavis, who should be on your radar for 2018. After blasting 31 home runs between Class A Advanced and Double A in 2017, this former first-rounder could arrive in Boston as soon as 2018, depending on how well he performs in the Arizona Fall League and at spring training. Then again, no matter how well he performs, Michael Chavis is blocked for the foreseeable future by 20-year-old rookie Rafael Devers, who is currently batting .293 with 8 home runs and 3 steals in only 48 games for the Red Sox. That's why Michael Chavis, like all of our frequent flyers in 2017 and 2018, should be considered to be long shots, who may be worth a flyer if they're still available in your league. Even so, reports have been surfacing that Michael Chavis might be a great fit at first base in Boston. If so, he'll have to compete with the off-injured 33-year-old Hanley Ramirez and Sam Travis, who is not necessarily known for his power. Be sure to keep an eye on Michael Chavis this fall, and while you're at it, take a closer look at the stellar Mitch Keller. The stellar Mitch Keller struck out a career-high 11 batters as final start of the 2017 season and finished with an average of exactly one strikeout per inning in 2017 with 116 strikeouts in 116 innings pitched. That translates to an elite dominance rate of 9 strikeouts per 9, or 2 points higher than the benchmark of 7 strikeouts per 9 that we use at BaseballHQ.com to identify baseball's best pitchers. More importantly, Mitch Keller exhibited excellent command by issuing only 32 walks relative to 116 strikeouts, giving him an exceptional command ratio of 3.6 strikeouts to walks in 2017. In other words, Mitch Keller's stock is rising quickly, and he will definitely be worth watching in 2018 and beyond. 
plus both of our frequent flyers, the final frequent flyers of the 2017 season, Michael Chavis and the stellar Mitch Keller, will soon be on their way to the Arizona Fall League, and you should be too. Please join us at First Pitch Arizona on November 2nd through the 5th to see both of these young players and several other top prospects, along with many of your favorite Baseball HQ personalities, including myself. Once again, thanks for listening in 2017. We hope to see you in Phoenix in a few weeks. Be sure to introduce yourself to us. If you haven't done so already, we'd love to hear from you. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com, officially signing off for the 2017 season. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, September 22nd. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 38 of 2017, our last show of the Fantasy Baseball regular season. I also want to thank our guests for this Friday edition, Roundtable panelist Ray Murphy from BaseballHQ.com and Todd Zola from Masters Ball, ESPN, and Rotowire. These are two of the best fantasy baseball analysts in our business. They're two great friends of the Baseball HQ Radio podcast, and I'm proud to say they're two guys I'm proud to call friends as well. I am Patrick Davitt, the host of Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks again for listening to this show and for this entire season. And thanks for the great feedback you've been sending in. Thanks as well for any help you've given the podcast by recommending us to your friends and by adding to our 4.8 star rating on iTunes. We'll be back again before the end of the year with at least one special edition, and then we'll ramp up in earnest right around the time pitchers and catchers report next February. In the meantime, I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ, and you can subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. And of course, I hope to see you at First Pitch Arizona, November 3rd through the 5th down in Phoenix. If you do come, be sure to stop by and say hello. Mention the podcast, because it's sure nice for me to put a face on listeners to the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.